This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. Teal Talk Radio Season 7, Episode 28. Season 7, Episode 28 of TL Talk Radio. I'm Lynn Funy-Hatton. And I'm Randy Ziegenfuss. Today we're speaking with Damian Matheson, Director of Partner Development and Digital Portfolio Coach at Spaces. Damian is also host of Competencies Without a Classroom, a podcast for teachers and students, where Damian interviews industry titans to uncover what 21st century skills they look for when building out their 21st century teams. So welcome to our podcast, Damian. Guys, uh, I'm, I'm very excited and very happy to be here. Uh, for everyone listening, I was able to meet Randy um, years ago at, at a conference. So to see it come full circle like this, uh, it, it's a big moment for me. And I'm, I'm super excited to talk with you both. Yeah. Great. So let's jump in and get our conversation started with a little bit about your personal journey. What brought you to this curiosity around 21st century skill development and, and K-12 education? Yeah. So... I mean, I'm, I'm biased. Obviously, I think it's a, it's a personal journey and uh, one that I'm particularly excited about. Hopefully that comes out in this conversation and I'll try not to, to drone on for too long. But long story short, um, <clears throat> growing up, I, I was my mom and my brother were uh, both police officers. So there was always a lot of uh, law in the family. There was a big interest in law. It still is very much so. Uh, but basically, they sat me down one day in, in grade 11 as we're starting to think about post-secondary opportunities and they said we don't need another cop in the family <laughs> we're good um, so take it a step further let's let's see if we can go to law school um, and i thought that was a really cool idea you know I, I loved watching the tv shows it seemed really interesting let's let's give it a shot um so of course you can take any undergraduate program um and then go to law school after the fact but from doing my research, uh, I found a program that was well suited. It was kind of a, a mix between criminal or criminology and, and public policy, so uh, political science and, and government relations. And towards the end of that program, you actually had some experiential opportunities to spend some time with different professionals in the legal field. And it was only then, uh, near the end of this this four year degree, that I realized I actually don't want to be a lawyer. This is not what I enjoy doing. Um, there was far too much reading for my liking, and it was not what it looked like on TV at all, right? So I, I had finished now four years. It's a Bachelor of Arts program. What would I do? I wasn't sure. Um, I got very fortunate. I got lucky that uh, I got an email from a newsletter that I was subscribed to at the time talking about this brand new program that they offered at uh, Ryerson University. It was a university in downtown Toronto in Canada. Uh and it was it was an experiment at the time. It was a pilot program. They have an incubator there called the Digital Media Zone, where they house early stage tech startup companies that uh, may or may not be associated with the university, but they're giving them an incubator, a, a place to learn and, and grow as, as companies, and hopefully build the next you know billion dollar unicorn. 
And in this program, it was very hands-on. Um, so it was three months, there were no books, there were no classes, there were no tests or exams. You had the resources at your disposable, uh, disposal through this incubator, three months, work with your team and build a company. And, and that was everything to me. I, you know, sure, I definitely learned a lot in my, my four-year program, uh, but I learned so much in those three months, um, life skills that I wasn't afforded the opportunity necessarily uh, to learn in, in my Bachelor of Arts program, as it were. Um, from all that, uh, fast forward a little bit, and, and I had a great mentor at the time uh, through this entrepreneurial adventure who introduced me to the founder of, of the company that I, I now work for, which is uh, My Blueprint. And My Blueprint is a college and career readiness software in Canada. So it's customized at a provincial level, and it uh, allows students to make more informed decisions about life after high school. And that's been a little over six years now. So I've had the opportunity to work with hundreds of educators and thousands of students as, as they kind of figure out life after high school. And I'm also still very connected to the this industry of software and technology and startups. So I, I kind of see it from both ends. I see it from um, what employers are looking for when they're hiring these, these young people and hiring people for these, these forward thinking companies. And I see it in the education system of what we're, we're doing with our students as it relates to the curriculum that our teachers are expected to run through with their students. And as much as there's forward progress, there's still a bit of a divide in terms of what I'm looking for as a CEO when I'm hiring versus what a student is coming out of um, with, with their piece of paper, whether that's K-12 or, or post-secondary. So from having these conversations uh, with, with the podcast that we started, which I, I know we're going to talk about, a lot of things we ask these, these CEOs and, and these hiring managers are, you know, what are these 21st century skills? What are the skills that you're looking for when you're building out these 21st century teams? And a lot of it comes back to these, these core competencies or essential skills or transferable skills. Everybody calls them something a little bit different, but they all kind of revolve around things like communication and, and problem solving and, and critical thinking and curiosity. Um, so it's, it's been kind of my, um, I've made it my, my mission, so to say, to kind of bridge these these two worlds and make some impact, however small that is, to allow the education system to be a little more tapped into the industry and, and make sure that we're doing everything we can to empower these students to develop the skills that they're going to need to be successful when, when they leave our halls, if, if that makes sense to answer your question, Lynn. So, Damien, we always love connecting with people that identify some gaps in the system and are creating some sort of innovative solutions or attacking the problem in some way. And clearly this idea of um, skills and this, this um, I would say it's like a relevancy gap in schools. Yeah. Like we focus so much on content and we don't really understand the why behind that and what's sort of like the long game of what we're preparing kids for and you're you're attacking that problem and one of the ways that you mentioned you're doing that is through um, the creation of the podcast so let's talk about your podcast a little bit so what's the what's the big idea that you know that's behind that what do you what do you hope to accomplish with that after this first season yeah so it's a great question Randy. um Basically, what, what happened was, and, and we just started up, I, th I think the first episode went live in October of, of 2020. So with my blueprint, the company that I just alluded to, it's, it's college and career readiness software. So it helps students make more informed decisions and do the research about what kind of opportunities are going to be available to them after grade 12. Um, part of that program, there's one feature that we added about five years ago, uh, which is this idea of a digital portfolio feature. 
So it allows students to create collections of the work that they're doing. Uh, maybe if I'm uh, applying to program A versus program B, I might create different portfolios to show off certain uh, achievements and skills and, and growth that would allow me to be a better suit for program A versus B. Same thing for jobs, same thing for scholarships, um, same thing for subjects in, in the classroom. So all that is to say that the people who are using our software, they're either using it for career education research or portfolio development or some combination of the two. And so the idea with the podcast is, is how can we bridge um, those two worlds? Because a lot of the reasons that educators are using the digital portfolio features in our programs is to have students demonstrate evidence of these 21st century skills that they're developing. Um, so um, if you haven't caught it yet from the few references, I'm, I'm Canadian. And one of uh, the provinces in Canada that is doing something really, really cool with this, in, in my opinion, is uh, the province of British Columbia on the West Coast, so just above Washington State. Um, and they recently redeveloped their curriculum a few years ago and embedded what they refer to as core competencies, which is just another way to refer to 21st century skills. So at every grade level, uh, there's the, the six big ones, but they all filter down to smaller, more specific uh, competencies. But students have to display evidence of those competencies every year. And because they're doing that every year, they're able to show growth of how their communication or their critical uh, thinking or, or problem solving abilities is, is growing every year with real visual evidence. So we started the podcast to be able to appeal to all of our users uh, or anyone who's really just generally interested in this topic um, to learn a bit more about career education and 21st century skills in the workplace setting. So we interview people who are working in industry and let's say about half the questions are, what do you actually do at work all day? So that the 16 year old and their teacher that is listening to this can now understand, oh, okay, that's what a civil engineer actually does at work all day. There's a lot more emails than I expected, right? And then the other half of it is, what are those 21st century skills that you actually need to be successful there? Because, you know, to your point, Randy, um, we tell our students, yeah, you need to be problem solvers. You need to be critical thinkers. You need to be curious. But what does that actually look like? What What's the example of that being applied in the workplace? So trying to get industry to actually speak to that so that students can kind of connect the dots. And now when they're being asked by their teachers to showcase evidence of problem solving, they have another example of, of what that looks like in action. So that, again, long answer to a short question was why we started the podcast to uh, help educate young people and their teachers about what people actually do at work all day, the skills they need to be successful there, and uh, what they can do to better put themselves in a position to be able to be that person one day. So you've had um, this season, almost a couple dozen episodes. What are your key takeaways, your aha moments from this um, work? That's a, that's a great question. So, I mean, we joked about it before we started recording, but the first thing I ask every guest is if they're pro pineapple on pizza or against it. And I'm happy to say that after episode 18, uh, the majority is pro pineapple on pizza. I know that's a divisive topic, so don't send Randy and Lynn too much hate mail. Uh, but if you're not on the pineapple train, you should be. That's the number one takeaway. The number two takeaway, I mean, there, there's a lot. Uh, I'll, I'll keep it short, but the I looked uh, actually before this, um, anticipating this question, and there's there's one question, and actually I, I would be interested in posing it to you two because I haven't uh, had the opportunity to interview superintendents uh, as part of this yet, but um, my very last question in each episode is it's a hypothetical scenario. So I say you're the superintendent of the school district, and you're tasked with deciding one competency 
So one 21st century skill that all of your students need to display evidence of in order to graduate. What is that skill? And the biggest ones that uh, the commonality between these, these episodes so far is problem solving. It's probably at the top, followed closely by uh, curiosity and then and empathy. So from the people that I've talked to, at least those are the three things that they're really looking for when they're building out these 21st century teams. Um, there's that and, and there's been a whole uh, lot of little interesting nuggets and, and it may be just because of the type of people that I've been interviewing and, and reaching out to that um, can, can generally be termed as, as maybe more forward thinking that we've had a lot of conversations about um, what students should be doing beyond the resume and beyond the report card. I still think there's a lot of rhetoric in society that you get good grades, you go to a good school, um, you have a nice looking resume and things are gonna work out for you. But that is changing. I think it has already changed for the large majority of students. There's certain industries that, yes, you know, you're, if you wanna be a doctor, you're going to medical school, uh, but there's a lot of things you can be doing above and beyond the, those pieces of paper to set yourself up for success. So one actually really interesting tidbit that, that comes to mind, um, I was talking one of the episodes, his name is Austin Belsack, and he's got a really interesting story where you know, I think he thought he was going to go into the medical field, quickly figured out that, that it wasn't for him and ended up in a sales type of job, bounced around a few times until he finally figured out a strategy to get interviews at the companies he really wanted to work for. And now he helps other people develop those strategies. And it really, sure, there's resume tips and tricks and hacks here and there, but he talks about all the things outside of that piece of paper. Because if you're the hiring manager, you get a hundred resumes on your desk, they're identical to you, right? So what can you do to tap into the people who are already working there in, into your network? He has this uh, really interesting concept called the double note rule. So when he is applying for a job or applying for something that he wants, if he's told no once, that's not enough. You have to at least tell him no twice for him to give up and, and move on to the next piece. Um, so it was a few different things, but- I love that. Yeah. The double note rule. Randy, how many one to remember. I bad? If you had to say how many nope rules that would be. <laughs> 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 I'll just ask the question another way, right? Yeah. Love it. And and that is one of the the skills that uh, is talked about often is is, is perseverance, right? Um, it's the ability to to not give up and when you're really passionate or interested in something having the determination um, to know that even if you're only presented with option A and option B, it doesn't mean that option C doesn't exist, which comes back to problem solving, right? They're all really interconnected, which has been really interesting. Everybody calls them something different, but we all kind of understand what the skills are to be a successful adult in the, in the world that we live in today. And if our listeners tune into your podcast, they're certainly going to hear lots of stories like that that bring um, yeah. sometimes what can be theoretical um, and dry, bring that to life with some real real examples uh, and we'll also obviously put the the podcast link in the show notes so our listeners can go grab a couple episodes and check it out so let's move the conversation uh over to spaces and tell us a little bit about the product itself and um, maybe a couple examples it did a good job of telling some stories about the podcast maybe tell us some stories about how people are using spaces yeah um, and, and I appreciate the opportunity, guys. So I, I mentioned uh, my blueprint being the company I work for. So my blueprint, we got started about 15 years ago now. So it was actually a research project during uh, undergraduate studies. Our, our founder, his name's Gil. 
really passionate guy. It was him and a few colleagues during their university education uh, that set out as part of a business project, did a few years of research uh, working with educators and, and guidance counselors and high school students. And at that time found that there was a need to create um, some better college and, and career readiness solutions for the Canadian education market. That, that's been great. So we, we now serve over, over 400 um, school boards across Canada and, and help over a million students every year figure out life after high school. And as I mentioned, about five years ago, we added a digital portfolio feature that so that students using the program could create collections of the work they were doing within the program, but also add custom artifacts like pictures and, and files, videos and links so that they could share those with potential employers or scholarship applications, uh, potential post-secondary programs, or really just as a way to kind of hand in my assignment at the end of the term, if, if that's a medium that the teacher was interested in. So all of that is to say that we've, we've been sitting on about five years of amazing feedback from teachers about um, what we could do to make this digital portfolio feature better. Because I'm, I'm sure I don't have to tell you both, but this trend of using the digital portfolio in the classroom in these past five, year, five years has, has really just skyrocketed up to the right, right? For, for so many reasons that, you know, um, I never like to use the word silver lining with, with COVID, but I think it has, uh, brought some things to our attention, you know, with with the pausing of standardized tests, as an example. Now people are able to have this conversation about, you know, why are they there in the first place? Does a standardized test, does a report card really tell the whole story behind the student? Are students more than the grades on the report card? Um, it, digital portfolios, having students document evidence of learning and, and growth provides a really great window into the classroom for parents at home, right? A lot of parents uh, used to get the opportunity once a year or maybe twice a year to go in as part of that student-led conference to meet the teacher and, and have the teacher talk to what the student's doing. But something like a digital portfolio where students are taking ownership and agency in what they're documenting and how they're progressing with their growth has allowed parents to have sometimes the daily window into what Jimmy actually did at school today. So for all those reasons, this, this idea of using a digital portfolio in the classroom has, has skyrocketed these past five years. And as long as this digital portfolio feature was stapled on to a 10 year old Canadian career education tool, we were never going to be able to build all the bells and whistles that teachers were asking for and that we wanted to build into it to allow for all those amazing things that I just mentioned to actually happen. So we have been sitting on this feedback for a little while saying, should we do it? You know, should we build a standalone digital portfolio tool? There's, there's clearly a demand for it. Teachers are, are asking for this, but we're a career education company. Maybe we should just stay in our lane and, and stick to what we know, right? Uh, but then, you know, full transparency, COVID happened and that kind of lit the fire under a butt that said, look, learning really is happening anytime, anywhere. Teachers and, and their students need something that's going to make it really easy for them to capture evidence and, and reflect on that learning, regardless of where it's happening. So yeah, let's do it. And, and that's what Spaces is. So Spaces is the evolution of years of feedback uh, from, from educators in, in terms of what they want in a tool that's going to allow for this documentation of evidence from anytime, anywhere. And, and it's just getting started. It's pretty exciting. We technically launched it uh, in September at the start of the school year. Uh, it is not customized to Canadian provincial education like the career readiness tool is with my blueprint. So it is available and being already pretty widely used across the states. It's pretty cool to see how people learn and, and find out about this and, and are willing to try these new things. And clearly we're, we're resonating with some people who agree with a lot of what I've said and, and want to provide those parents a window in the classroom or want to make it easy for students to capture evidence of learning anytime, anywhere. So we're really just getting started uh, this, this first year. 
Um, really, really, really focused on feedback. Um, the cheesy tagline that I like to say is that uh, my blueprint, the, the parent company, is a bootstrapped company, which means that we didn't have to go to Silicon Valley and ask for a bunch of money, which means we didn't have we, we don't have investors waiting for us to, to pay them back. So spaces is being funded by my blueprint, our own company, which means we're less in a rush to pay back investors and more interested in, in getting it right. So we're really taking our time with educators this year and, and over the course of next year to figure out what you really want in this tool. So my, my cheesy tagline is that we're more interested in, in feedback than, than finances, which is cheesy, but it, it is legitimately true. So we know we have a long way to go. Uh, we know we've collected enough feedback from this year to kind of take us through to the end of this, this current school year, but we're still actively looking for you know, forward thinking educators to kind of work with us uh, who want the, the ears and the eyes of our product team to build a tool that's really gonna meet their needs. So long way to go, but definitely a very uh, promising start as, as we work with educators all across North America on, on this project. Yeah, interesting. So really, um, so I'm thinking about our own situation and Randy and I co-visioned and developed a, a profile of a graduate nice. um, yeah. years ago and we've been working towards that. And now we're at the point where we're, we're moving into a second iteration. And the, the heavy lift is how do you assess whether or not learners have um, met the profile of a graduate? Are they mm -hmm. developing the knowledge, skills, and literacies that we have identified as a school community, a district? And you know, one of the topics on our, on our um, radar is the digital portfolio and and considering other other topics too and maybe a more of a layered approach um you know exit interviews and conferences and presentations and um you know really thinking about what would work in our in our context so this is an interesting topic um for us as well yeah and and you know that actually just reminded me because randy said let's give an example or two as you're talking which i forgot about graduate profile is an amazing example right so actually um that this the graduate profile concept um was was one of the things that got me so excited about this this idea so um i'm gonna forget the name of the conference but it was in palm springs in, in california and uh the november before COVID, and and i saw a session from henrique henrico county public schools in virginia uh, i believe talking about their, their student-led, um, they called it an exhibition. So it was like a student-led conference on steroids. It was over the course of the, the whole year. Um, sorry, that's an aside. There's another presentation that told me about graduate uh, profiles, which, which I'm also super excited about. But both of those are great examples. So graduate profile, like one of the ways that somebody would do that with spaces is at the district level, we decide these are our six C's. So that's, uh, that's where what made me think of Henrico. Every one of their graduates is going to be able to de demonstrate evidence of communication, critical thinking, whatever it is, right? Um, with, with spaces, not to talk too much about the product, but <clears throat> the way you would be able to engineer it at the district level is decide this is our graduate profile. We want every one of our students to demonstrate evidence of these six C's. So at a class, school, and district level, you'd be able to run a report to say, here's Jimmy. Here are the six C's at the top. Does he have a piece of evidence that we've de deemed satisfactory to say, yes, he's demonstrated evidence in each one of those six C's. So at the district level, then you'd be able to look down and say, well, at this school, uh, by March of grade 12, only 70% of my students have demonstrated mastery or satisfactory for all of the six C's that we're working towards as a district. And whether it's a digital portfolio or a, a digital uh, a Google Slides tool, 
to me, it, it really doesn't matter. I'm just happy that people are having this conversation and being intentional about the fact that, yes, we should have our students working towards this ideal of a graduate that is going to contribute to society and be able to easily demonstrate evidence of that, both within the classroom, the education system, but so that student can also leave grade 12 and go to the employer and say, here's proof, here's evidence that I am a communicator and a critical thinker and a problem solver, right? Um, the other example that I was thinking about, uh, Randy, was, was student-led conference, right? And that's a really cool way that people are using spaces right now because it provides that window into the classroom. I talked about before, um, a student-led conference, depending on your school, it might happen once a year, it might happen in twice a year, and, and the parent is exhausted after a long day of work. And depending on the school, sometimes it's still the parent talking about what the student is doing. I see a lot more schools now encouraging the student to be the one doing the presentation and taking agency, which is awesome. But um, one of the ways that people are using spaces is you can create different spaces for different reasons within the program. So some people will create one called in, uh, a student-led conference, right? And they're not putting everything in there. It, it differs from teacher to teacher, but I may ask my students to cherry pick their best of from each of their different subject areas. If I'm working with an elementary student, as an example, or at a high school level, I may ask them to pick three pieces of evidence that they're really proud of that they can speak to, add those to the student-led conference. Teachers can invite parents to certain spaces. So I would invite parents to student-led conference. So they have an ongoing window of what students are adding to that throughout the year, not having to wait for the one time in the year that I can actually come in and, and talk to the teacher, which this year may have and may not, right? Um, so student-led conference and, and graduate profile are actually really great ways um, of having students demonstrate evidence of these 21st century skills as they're showcasing growth from year to year. Good connection for us. It makes total makes total yeah. sense. And we actually use um, student-led conferences at our elementary level as part of our leader and me process. Awesome. Um, which is really interesting. Yeah. Um, so they'll look a little different this year, but <laughs> <laughs> all right. Before we invite you to share what's next for you, we have a few rapid response questions. Are you ready? I love it. Let's do it. All right. Who's one expert our listeners should connect with to learn more about 21st century skills? Uh, yeah, so for, for this group, um, I'm going to say his his name is Navid Nathu. So N-A-V-I-D, last name is N-A-T-H-O-O. And he's done a lot. He was a successful tech entrepreneur. But more recently, uh, him and his brother founded this organization called the Knowledge Society, which uh, is essentially, they call it a human accelerator, which I think is pretty cool. It, it, easiest way to, to understand that is it's, a, it's an after school program. Uh, it's not after school, it's, it's once a week on weekends and they have a couple of different 10 month programs, but they're supplementing what students are doing in the traditional education system, except they're focusing a lot on these things, these 21st century skills. So they talk to a lot of students about um, mindsets and, and philosophy and how to um, develop a strong character, to develop a strong network things that we may not necessarily have prescriptive curriculum outcomes for. So yeah, there's gonna be a lot of teachers who already do that because they're, they're great teachers, but they're not baked into the curriculum. So it's not as uh, proactive necessarily, whereas this, it's intentionally why they exist. So because that is why they exist as an organization, he's, you know, you can follow him on Twitter um, and, and the Knowledge Society as I'm pretty sure at the K Society. Um, they're always talking about all the cool stuff that their students are able to do because of this program. And, and because of that, he's always sharing some pretty information, interesting information. So yeah, Naveed Nathu is a good person to uh, look into when you're thinking about, especially how we can help develop these skills in our young people. He's a, a wealth of knowledge. All right, great suggestion. And if you're recommending one book to our listeners, what might that book be? 
Tough one, Lynn. I struggle with this because I do like to read. Um, <laughs> so picking one, and you know, I asked the same question myself on the podcast. So it's interesting to reflect on it. So I have three. That's what I'm going to do for you. I'll make it quick though. One, um, I'm sure everybody listening to this knows about is uh, Mindset by Qu- uh, Carol Dweck. It's just pivotal if you don't understand that there's a difference between growth and fixed mindsets and that you have the ability to choose growth, then nothing else really matters. Um, actually, I'll leave it with two. The second one is this book called Indistractable uh, by Nir Eyal, N-I-R, last name is E-Y-A-L. He's um, he's written a, a very well-published book called Hooked in the Past about software development. He's very well-connected in Silicon Valley, but this one... And the reason I actually picked it up was because through my podcast, I, I asked a few of these, these people about what skills they think are going to be most in demand for people moving forward. And the pattern, one of the patterns that I recognized was the ability to focus, right? Um, and it's not just young people, it's, it's ourselves as well. We're all glued to our phones. We're all glued to the next notification or the buzz or the ding. So this book, Indistractable, is uh, full of science-backed research um, about what you can do. For example, just like, I don't get notifications on my phone anymore, unless it's a phone call and a text message from certain people and the ability that that has allowed me to focus on from that one small little, just switching a couple of toggles on my phone is huge. And he's tons of that stuff. So the ability to focus, whether you're a young person or anybody, that's going to be something that sets you apart from everybody else moving forward. All right, great. And we'll add those to the show notes. Last question. If there is a person or site or resource that you learn from regularly. There is. And you know what? I'm actually, it'd be interesting to see if uh, someone can let me know if I'm wrong, but I haven't found any educators taking advantage of it. And I think there's a really great opportunity here, especially since there's, there seems to be this growing trend, at least on Twitter of what I like to refer to as education influencers, right? Um, George Kouros's and, and Brian Aspinall's and, and people of the world that are educators that have this, this growing following, right? Um, there's this, it's a website called Patreon. Uh, you may have heard of it advertised before, but it essentially allows creators or thought leaders, call them what you want, to create a gated community. So I subscribe to four of them. <laughs> They're usually uh, $10 a month. Uh, I think you can choose whatever price the, that you want, but the ones I subscribe to are, there, there's a few that are related to marketing. Uh, one, one is copywriting, uh, things like that. Um, and it just, I, I'm a firm believer in investing in your own personal and professional development. So if, you know, 40 bucks a month uh, is, is going to help me way more down the line than, than not investing in myself. It's a small price to pay to, to be able to level up and get the skills that I need to continue to grow personally and professionally. So patreon.com is, is probably the URL. And I would love to see some educators on there because there's some really cool people doing some really cool things right now. All right, we'll add that to the show notes as well. Well, Damien, it's been fun getting to know a little bit about your personal story, the work that you're doing, the podcast, all sorts of good stuff today. To wrap it up, is there anything that you'd like to share with our audience that you're currently working on? Uh, Very much so. Uh, And it it actually relates to the podcast again. So as we talked about, season one is about to wrap up, uh, which means for us, season two is about to kick off. And it's going to take a bit of a different turn. So season one, as we talked about, was more focused on interviewing industry professionals. What are the skills you look for when you're building out your 21st century teams? 
educators everywhere agree that yes, we know that our students need these skills to be successful. No one is arguing that, right? Um, so great. Now I've listened to season one. I know what those skills are, and I know what they look like in action. But how do I empower those skills in my students? And I know there are a lot of amazing teachers who are doing an amazing job of empowering their students to develop these skills. But oftentimes, I feel like those amazing ideas are siloed to that classroom, to that teacher, or, or to their community. So what we want to do with season two is to actually amplify the voice of the educator. So we're calling it 21 for 21, where this time we're going to be interviewing educators. 21 episodes with 21 different teachers talking about how they develop their 21st century skills in their students. It's going to be short and sweet. The idea is that each teacher is going to talk about a specific skill uh, that they're empowering their students to develop and how they actually do that in the classroom so that somebody else listening can borrow and steal that idea and bring it back to their classroom. Um, if that wasn't enough, we thought we'd turn it into a little bit of a contest. So that <laughs> is what 21 for 21 stands for. 21 teachers, we're going to put up 21 clips of them answering that borrow and steal question with their specific use case. We're going to turn it into a bit of a public voting system with a hashtag on Twitter. And the winning teacher is going to walk away with $2,100 to use in their classroom to help their students develop these 21st century skills. That sounds fun. Yeah. Well, I hope it will be. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. yeah. We'll have to watch and see how that develops and tune into some of those episodes and, and hear some of those real on the ground stories of uh, 21st century skills. Yeah. Great. Thanks for sharing, Damien. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Damien. To learn more about Damien's work, you can visit the links in the show notes. We added the books, a link to the podcast spaces, and the other experts recommended. Each episode, we leave you with a question to think about with the idea of provoking reflection and conversation. This episode's question, how are you assessing your students' 21st century workplace skills? If you've enjoyed this episode, would like to connect or check out the resources shared today, visit the show notes at tltalkradio.org and look for season seven, episode 28. That's all for this episode. We'll be back next week with another conversation featuring another innovative thought leader. Thanks again, Damien. Thank you guys. Take care, Damien. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.